Before we begin our Torah study, would you pray with me? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, asher kidshanu b'misvatav, v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. We have been talking about opportunities because God is opening up many opportunities for us. And I want to tell you something, many opportunities, maybe most opportunities are accompanied by challenges and difficulties. They don't come easily. How many of you can confirm that from your experience? You get a new job or a promotion and it's harder work. You, you go to grad school. It's not like kindergarten. You have to work at a whole new level. You have to learn so many new things. You pray for a little baby, you get pregnant. Well, that's easy, right? No, it's work. And then when it's time to give birth, it's work. That's why they call it labor, because it's work. It's hard. There are many great things in life that come at a price. And it's important to learn how to be ready to meet the challenges. When we face these challenges, though, often our own vision shrinks and we withdraw into ourselves, we become myopic, nearsighted, if you will, and we begin to focus all of our attention on ourselves and our emotional responses to the situations that we're in and the difficulties that we're in. We can become, in fact, prisoners of our own emotional responses to difficulty. When God gives you opportunities, these will normally be accompanied by challenges. And you may be tempted to surrender to your own emotional responses, to give up, or to, to give in, or to run away, or just to feel sorry for yourself. Many of you are going through, going into new opportunities, but you are already experiencing challenges. If you're in the middle of a new opportunity, you've just begun one, would you wave at me so I can see how many people are doing new stuff? I can see, and can you, can you confirm that it's not easy, that there are challenges. And some of the challenges touch us emotionally, right? They, they, are, they make us feel like it's harder than we thought. Now, what I want you to do is to learn to think it's going to be even harder and harder. So that when it's not so hard, you'll think it's easy. You need to learn to fight when God gives you an opportunity. You have to learn to draw close to God when you take opportunities. And I think this is one of the reasons why God spoke to Moses in a very specific way as we read in this week's Torah portion in Exodus 6. You can turn there. Exodus 6, we'll start in verse 2, the beginning of uh, Parshat Va'era, which, which means I appeared. It's not about Moses, it's about the Lord, the Lord appearing. And by the way, if, if you're wondering how you can easily follow along with the scriptures that we'll be using. You can go to Twitter, to Tumblr, to Facebook, to our pages, and all there are links to all the scriptures we're going to be using, including not just the citation, but the text themselves. So starting Exodus chapter 6, verse 2, it says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Adonai. I am the Lord. Moses is called the servant of God in Revelation chapter 15. Moses serves the Lord. 
But what we're reading about here is the Lord himself. The Lord starts this passage by saying, I am the Lord. Because it's not about Moses. It's about how Moses served God. It's a passage about the Lord and how the Lord helped Moses and how the Lord worked in Moses' life and how the Lord worked on behalf of Israel. And he starts with this statement, I am the Lord. Whenever God says that to one of the the patriarchs or the prophets of Israel or the leaders of Israel, it's because he wants them to focus on him, to take their attention off of themselves and turn to him. When you're in the midst of a great challenge, and believe you, believe me, Moses was in the middle of a challenge. When you're in the middle of a challenge, it's so easy to focus on ourselves and how we're thinking, how we're feeling, how we're reacting, and we can become confused that that is the reality that we need to be most aware of. So when Moses could have been tempted by that or one of the leaders of Israel could be tempted in that way and the Lord has something strong to say, he says, I am the Lord. It's a way of getting attention off of ourselves. God says, I am the Lord, yod Hey vav Hey Hashem, which means the name, it's a stand-in for yod Hey vav Hey. This is all about the Lord and what he's doing. When God gives you an opportunity, don't make yourself the center of attention. Keep your eyes on the Lord. That's why in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you're going to run the race, you're going to have to endure. How many track people are here in the room? All you track folk, would you stand up for a minute? We just want to congratulate you that you can run. <laughs> Runners. Okay, next question. Did, did any of you win any competitions? No? Yeah, Isaiah. Tell us. First place in the district for a cross-country 5K. 5K, wow. <laughs> Congratulations. Any joggers here? Any treadmillers? <laughs> Any people who dream of running? <laughs> There's a race that has been set before us. Whether you're in track or not, whether you like to run physically or not, there's a spiritual race that you're called to, and we're told to run it with endurance. You know, you know what that means? Run it to the end. Run it until you finish. Run it till you cross the finish line. And it goes on to say, let's run with endurance, the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Yeshua, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You need endurance to run this race. And so you've got to keep your eyes on Yeshua because he not only is the source of faith, he will make your faith strong. You see, when you discover Yeshua, you find out God is faithful. And the fact that you discover his trustworthiness, this is the very foundation of faith. Faith means to trust God, to know God intimately, to believe not only that he exists, but that he's trustworthy, that his word is true and that he can be depended on. When you discover that, faith rises up in you. 
Faith isn't a blind leap. Faith sees the faithfulness of God and responds to it. Yeshua not only gives birth to faith in you, he perfects your faith. He completes it. He strengthens it. He renews it. As you keep your eyes focused on him, even through times of difficulty, he will make you stronger and stronger and stronger. Now let's keep going. Verse 3. It's still the Lord who's speaking, and he says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, as El Shaddai, but by my name Adonai, yod heh vav Hashem, I was not known to them. This is very interesting. The Lord is saying, I appeared to them. The foundation of the Jewish faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was not our Jewish culture. It was not our Jewish religious traditions. It was not our religious history because they were laying the foundation of that history. The foundation of our original Jewish faith, the patriarch's faith, is that God appeared to them. That God of heaven appeared to them on earth and revealed himself to them and they knew he existed and he called them to serve him and to teach their children to serve him. That's the foundation of the Judaism that we read about in the Bible. It's not halakha, it's not Jewish law. It's not even the sense of Jewish peoplehood. It's the appearance of God. The same for Moses. God is saying to Moses, I appeared to the patriarchs. And he's also saying to them that they knew me as El Shaddai. They knew me as Almighty God. But I'm revealing myself as well as Yod Heh Vav Heh, or Hashem Adonai, I normally just say Adonai, sometimes Hashem, the name. Because in that way of revealing himself, he's communicating that he's a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. He's not only the creator of the universe, he's not only uh, almighty in his power, he's a God of relationship and family who makes covenant and keeps covenant. And he's saying this to Moses. He wants Moses to understand, I am almighty God. And some of you need to know that, that God is almighty. And he's saying, I am a covenant-keeping God. And so he's saying to Moses, what you're doing right now in your confrontation with Pharaoh and the call I have on your life to bring Israel out of Egypt, what you're doing is connected to what the patriarchs experienced. And what did they experience? I appeared to them. I manifest myself in their real world so that they saw me, they experienced me, they knew I was real, and they saw me working on their behalf. This faith that's been handed down by the Jewish people from generation to generation is really based on God appearing to his people. If he didn't do that, there's no reason for Jewish faith. Verse 4, I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. Here the Lord is saying that the covenant that he makes with Israel also includes God's granting to Israel a portion of land, of geography on this earth, the land of Canaan, where they have 
where they've been immigrants, but the Lord's saying, I'm giving this land to Israel. They've been strangers, immigrants. You can't separate the covenant God makes with the Jewish people from the covenant of giving the land because God says it's part of one piece. God has made a promise. There are certain parts of evangelical Christianity which are turning away from this, which are thinking uh, the land doesn't belong to Israel. Well, God says the land does belong to Israel. And so let's just agree that God knows what he's talking about. And we'll let him have the last word on this matter. Verse 5, the Lord's still speaking. I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in slavery and bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. See, God is speaking a really powerful truth. We will groan. Can you verify that? Anybody groan in the last week over some kind of difficulty? Just wave at me if you had some groaning. I've noticed this. Life isn't easy. And you know why? Because we live in the middle of spiritual warfare. There's no way to avoid it. The battle is tough, and that's why we're groaning. Nobody ever groans when they're delighted. You eat your favorite chocolate, and you don't go, oh. What do you do? Mmm. Ah. Right? You groan when it's hard, not when it's delightful. The Lord says, I've heard their groaning. Because the battle's tough, we're groaning. And I know a lot of you can identify with that. The Lord's saying to Israel, the Egyptians have enslaved you, but I'm listening, and I'm watching, and I'm getting ready to work for your freedom. Here's a tough part of the truth. God can be with us even when others are against us. God can be with us even when we're suffering under the hand of others. Not everyone is for you. Not everyone likes you. Not everyone wants you to be blessed. Some people are working against you, and God can still be with you. God can be with us even when others want to take away our rights or do take away our rights when they treat us as property or as slaves. God was saying to Moses, I am with the children of Israel even though they're enslaved now in Egypt. I'm listening to their groaning. I'm remembering my covenant and I will be faithful to do what I had promised to do. Verse six, therefore, for all those reasons, say to the children of Israel, Moses, say this, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. God is saying to Moses, you present yourself to the children of Israel and talk to them in my name. And you speak to them what I spoke to you. And you say, I am the Lord. Why does God say that? So people take their focus off of themselves. They turn their attention to him. Now think about what, what Moses doesn't say. He doesn't get before all of the children of Israel and talk like an American politician. He doesn't say, trust me. He doesn't say, we can change this thing. 
he says, turn to God. God can change everything. God can get us out of this. That's his word. Trust, trust Moses? No. Trust God. Absolutely. The Lord is saying, I will bring you out. Moses doesn't say, I will bring you out. Do you think Moses had the power to get the children of Israel out of Egypt? He absolutely had insufficient power. God wants Moses to focus on the Lord and not on himself. And he wants Moses to understand that God is his God. And God is giving him commands. Then the next statement that the Lord makes is very interesting. Then, or as a result of this, you will know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You will know that I am the Lord who brings you out. One of the reasons that, that God allows difficulty in our lives is so that we can experience his victory. Otherwise, we would just know about it, but we wouldn't experience it. The Lord says, I can bring you out, and when I do bring you out, you're going to know I am the Lord who brought you out. In fact, in honor of this principle, there is a tradition among the Jewish people when we celebrate Passover that, that we are to identify with those who were in slavery as if, it was, as if it were us who were in slavery. That we would say, I was a slave in Egypt. And I was delivered by the outstretched arm of the Lord. And you cannot finish the Pesach Seder until you've come to that sense of identification. If it's only they were, then you haven't learned the major lesson of Passover, which is declared here. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This learning, this experience of God's deliverance, of his redemption is so important. There are a lot of believers. So you're, you might be sitting next to one. Or actually, the person sitting next to you might be sitting next to one. <laughs> who, who believes in their head that God is almighty and believes in their head that he's able to redeem, but experientially and in their heart of hearts and in their spirit, they don't really believe it. They actually believe that they're on their own and they're in trouble and no one can help them. God will allow you to continue in certain difficulties until you get to the point where you cry out to him and he answers you and you know that he answered you and you know that he delivered you. He will bring you out of those difficulties so that you can tell other people that you've been through such difficulties and God has protected you. Some people want to escape difficulties. Aren't you in favor of that? Let's just avoid the difficulties. Yeah. Tough luck. <laughs> We're all dreaming when we think like that. Yeshua, when he was talking about the, uh, the, the, some of the tribulations that would come upon the Jewish people, was describing some of the horrors of that generation that was there when Jerusalem was destroyed. And he, he said to his disciples that this will be an opportunity for you to be witnesses of my great power, to tell other people about my goodness. You've got to be willing to go through it in order to get to the other side, 
if you want to be a witness to other people who are in the middle of it. God's saying, you will know this way that I am the Lord who brings you out. When you go through difficulty, God uses the difficulty to build your relationship with him. And the experience will make you know something about God that maybe only rested in your head before as a thought, but really didn't guide and direct you. Some people just don't know that God can still do this. And so they, they get stuck, and they become despairing and despondent. Let's look at verse 8. I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. I'll bring you into the land. You see, God is not promising success to Moses the man. He's promising that the Lord will do what the Lord says he will do. I will do it. He doesn't say, Moses, I'm giving you this great opportunity, and it's going to redefine your whole life. And you're going to be a successful man. People are going to love you. They're going to remember you for forever. So one day they'll say, Moses brought us into the land. You see, the Lord says, I'll bring you into the land. Now, the Lord already knows something. Moses isn't going into the land. His job is to bring Israel to the edge. That's it. But he doesn't fully know that. He's committed to God's vision for Israel, not just his part along the way. I will give you this land. I will bring you into the land. I swore to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's all from the Lord. And then he ends with the statement, I am the Lord. And that repetition is a point of emphasis. You see, this is the way it is with many opportunities that God gives you. You can't accomplish them on your own. There is a a need to press into God in order to accomplish them. You will need help from God. Verse 9, so Moses spoke in this way to the children of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. So Moses said what God told them to say. But they didn't pay attention to Moses. And why was it? It's because their spirit was in anguish. They they felt the anguish of the cruel bondage of the slavery. They felt the hopelessness of the situation. That was a normal response. We shouldn't be critical of that response. Most of us can identify with that response too when we're in, we're in trouble, when we're in prolonged difficulty, we get anguish in our own spirits. And we find it difficult to imagine that we're gonna get out of this situation. Because of that anguish, the children of Israel couldn't really listen to Moses. And that gives you a clue. If you want to be useful to people, you have to know the condition of their spirits and their souls. If they're in anguish, you've got to speak hope to them and fill them up with hope and, and speak courage to them and renew their faith or else they won't be able to believe what you say about what God will do. And one of the best ways to renew other people is to share how God renewed you. That is not the same as giving platitudes and saying, oh, it's just easy. It's not the same as just trying to recite verses. You have to know the difficulty yourself and be familiar with the anguish yourself so that you can speak to others the way it would have been useful if others spoke to you. 
when you can put yourself in their shoes and speak to them in a way that builds them up, then you can really be useful. God prepared this opportunity for Israel to go forward into freedom, but their own emotional condition kept them from, from moving forward immediately. They were focused on the circumstances, and they were surrendering to their circumstances instead of to God. Their emotions, though, were perfectly understandable. How many of you can understand how normal it is when you go through difficulty to feel bad? To feel sorry for yourself? To, to feel torn up inside, even? Very understandable. The cruelty of slavery would certainly do that to every one of us. But I want to tell you something. There are times when we have to rise above our own normal emotions in order to live as people of faith. Why do you think David said, bless the Lord, O my soul? Because his soul didn't feel like doing it. He had to tell his soul what to do and how to think and how to act. Soul, bless the Lord. Don't forget the benefits of the Lord. What do you think the soul was probably doing? Forgetting the benefits. That's simple, right? Not remembering the benefits. When, when I lost my computer bag and iPad and keys, I started remembering the benefits. And I thought, wow, this is a good benefit package. I'm taking advantage of the benefits. And when I got everything back, I thought, it's a good benefits package. I had coverage for that bag. We have to learn to rise above our normal reactions in order to live as people of faith. Verse 10, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. Verse 12, Moses spoke before the Lord and he said, the children of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me because I'm of uncircumcised lips? I hope you can identify with this situation. Moses wants God to do a reality check. He's saying, Lord, I'm not sure you understand what's really going on here. Let me explain the situation. I'm talking, no one's listening. I tell the children of Israel these things and they're ignoring me. Do you understand Pharaoh is going to ignore me too? Do you have a better plan than this? This is what Moses is saying to God, and I think some of you can identify with this because you pray like this too. And you've had the experience of, of God calling you to do something and it didn't go so well. And then you come back to God and you say, Lord, this is not working right. I need to know what plan B is here. The Lord didn't have a plan B. Look at verse 13. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. He told the two of them. I think so they couldn't deny it. Yeah, I heard it. Yeah, that's what I heard. Okay. He gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So, so look at God's response. 
Moses says, this is not working. The Lord says, you go tell them. <laughs> you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Send my people out. You, you tell children of Israel, time to go. So many of us don't want God to talk to us like that. We want God to be sweet. <laughs> and to be sympathetic to the difficulty that he's put us in. We want the Lord to say, well, Moses, I'm really sorry. I thought this was going to go really differently. I thought when you spoke, everything was going to be just fine. Or we want him to say, we want the Lord to say, Moses, you're such a good guy. You're, you're, such, you're so sweet. Why aren't they listening to you? Or I love you so much. I don't want you to suffer like this. Let's just call it quits and go home. That's how we want God to talk to us. And yet, God who is capable of talking sweetly and of encouraging knows that there are times when we don't need sweet talk, we need tough talk. We need to stay on focus, we need to understand the situation we're in, and we need to run the race with endurance and not give up. I was at the gym the other day, a guy who's a professional, wants to be a professional bodybuilder. Not, not my friend. <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't want to hang around with me. He, uh, he was exercising, and he had prepared for a competition, and then he withdrew the day before the competition, and I asked him why. And he said, I saw who I was competing with, and at best, I would place fourth. And there are only three awards. And so he said, I would lose. And if I lose, I have no hope of becoming a professional. I said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to spend one more year building up my strength. I thought, that's serious. He did not want to lose. Do you get that? But he didn't give up. He just understood he was going to take more preparation. Well, I saw, him the, I saw him a few weeks later. He was at the gym, and he had a job to go to, and he said to the trainer, uh, I'm out of time. i got to go. This is what the trainer said. I don't care. You should have come earlier. You will finish. And guess what? He stayed. And I thought, that voice and the voice of the Lord, very similar <laughs> in the tone. There are times when we want to give up, right? But the people who are encouraging us and coaching us and equipping us do not want us to be quitters, to give up. And they understand that if they give in to that, we will quit. And once we become quitters, we'll do it again and again and again and again. The Lord's not talking sweet to Moses. He's saying, you do what I say and trust the outcome to me. You see, God knows that Pharaoh's heart is hard and it'll get even harder. But Moses can't give up just because of that, this is spiritual warfare. This is not politics. This is not sociology. This is not liberation theology. This is spiritual warfare. 
the God of Israel, the God of the whole world, of the universe, is entering into battle with the gods over Egypt who have enslaved Israel through their representative Pharaoh, who also considers himself God in the flesh. And the Lord knows this is spiritual warfare, that this battle will only be won with effective spiritual warfare by Moses and the children of Israel trusting in the Lord to do warfare on their behalf. It's spiritual warfare. You see, God gives us opportunities, but every opportunity takes place in the context of spiritual warfare. Great opportunities to serve him, to serve his purposes. I'm not talking about opportunities for you to make a name for yourself. I'm talking about opportunities for you to serve God so that God makes a name for himself. Very different kinds of opportunities. You'll face opposition as you try to move forward. And that's why you need to keep your eyes on the Lord, number one. You need to remember spiritual warfare, number two. And you need to know, don't try to escape or to run away or to give up or give in, number three. We are in the middle of a spiritual battle of spiritual warfare, and you can't escape from it. Now, if you're sitting next to someone, smile at them and say, you're in spiritual warfare. You're in spiritual warfare. If you're not sitting next to someone, just turn around and lean over and say to somebody or look in the row in front of you and say, you're in spiritual warfare. You're in spiritual warfare. You may not always recognize it, but it's always there all the time. You can't flee to the mountains and get away. The earth is too small. You can't hide in a cave and get away. Don't take my word for it. Ask Moses or ask Elijah. Think about this. God found Moses when Moses was up in the mountains. God sent him into the battle into Egypt. So if you think you can run away to the mountains, you're wrong. God goes to the mountains to get people to go into the cities. <laughs> Moses could have said, well, wait a minute, Lord. I'm supposed to be safe. Last time I was in Egypt, it was nothing but trouble, those godless pagans down there. The Lord didn't want to hear any of that. The Lord said, i got a plan for you, Moses, because I've got a plan for Israel. It's going to cost you, Moses. Leave the mountain. <laughs> God found Elijah when Elijah was hiding in the cave. What did God do? God, God didn't say, oh, man, you found a good place. I'm coming in. <laughs> this is getting rough out here. That Jezebel, she's just more than I thought. The Lord came to the cave where Elijah was and said, what are you doing here? Get up. Get back in the fray. You see, you and I are called to engage life, to live in the midst of a spiritual warfare. Some people try to make a deal to get out of it. I've heard of people who say to the devil, listen, you don't, you don't bother me, I won't bother you. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. That doesn't work, and I'll tell you why. He hates you. You may think if you back off that he won't bother you. No, he will still hate you. His position remains unchanged. You cannot make a deal. 
It's in difficult times. It's in spiritual warfare like Moses experienced, like Elijah experienced, that you discover the power of God. What Moses discovered about God's power, what the children of Israel discovered about God's power, was so significant and so memorable that we think about it today. And it shapes our understanding. This is when you discover the power of God and he shows you how great he is. When God called Israel out of Egypt, it was spiritual warfare. Do you think that the spiritual warfare ended when Israel went out from Egypt on Passover? Had a nice little Seder. Let's have some lamb, bitter herbs, some matzah. Let's take a trip. Everything's cool. When God led Israel to the Red Sea, it was spiritual warfare. Do you think the spiritual warfare ended when Israel camped at the Red Sea? No. When Israel went through the Red Sea, do you think the spiritual warfare was over? No. When God called Moses up to Mount Sinai, it was spiritual warfare. Do you remember the golden calf? Do you think the spiritual warfare ended when Moses was up on the mountain receiving the law of God? No, it didn't end. When Israel was promised the land of Canaan, it was spiritual warfare. Do you think the spiritual warfare ended when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan and went into the promised land? Do you think the children of Israel just got to the river and said, oh, hallelujah, that, that was, that's the end of the difficult period. Now we go into the land of Canaan, and the Canaanites are just going to say, we have been waiting for you. We've been trying to keep everything nice. You know, the time is perfect. And we want you to take our cities. We want you to take our, all of our territory. We know that the Lord has given it to you, and we just want to give it to you now. <laughs> the spiritual warfare is continuing even today over God's grant of that land. When Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal, it was spiritual warfare. And do you think that the spiritual warfare ended when God answered with fire? It was after that that Elijah ran into the cave. When Yeshua was born, it was spiritual warfare. Do you think the spiritual warfare ended when Yeshua escaped the sword of Herod? Little baby Jesus is now safe. All is well, no more troubles. Uh-uh. When God called you into the kingdom, it was spiritual warfare. Colossians 1.13 says, he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, you were in spiritual warfare before you came into the kingdom. You were just a prisoner of war. Or you were working for the wrong army. And then you got rescued. And you changed kingdoms. And went from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Do you think the spiritual warfare ended when you changed your allegiance? You became a traitor to the enemy. Do you understand that? Faithful to God. 
Do you think it ended when you said yes to the Lord? Spiritual warfare continues. You can't escape it. And you have to learn to fight spiritually and to win. That's what this week's Parsha is all about. God is calling Moses to be an example for us of someone who trusts God for what God wants to do and for whom losing is not an option. It's not about him being afraid to fail personally. It's about him being committed to what God says he will do and how he will do it and staking his entire life on that. God wants you to be victorious in spiritual warfare. If you have to fight for a day, good. If you can't pray for a minute, do you really think you can pray for an hour? You've got to build your endurance. If you can't fight and have victory over little things, do you think you can, have, you can fight and have victory over big things? You can't. You have to train yourself. You have to become strong. You have to become stronger. You have to become as strong as you can by practicing and building your strength with endurance. You need stamina. You need repetition. For some of you, the difficulties that you're going through are only training, that's it. They are only designed to make you strong enough to be able to do what God has in mind. And if you don't embrace them, you'll never get strong enough to do what God has for you. You'll always accomplish things, but they'll be less than what he has in mind for you. Turn to Ephesians chapter six, because this speaks about the same context. You see, God wants you to be victorious. He does not want you to lose these significant battles in your life. If God's called you to win someone for him, he doesn't want you to quit praying for them. He doesn't want you to give up on them. He doesn't want you to resign just because it's difficult. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This isn't about being strong in yourself. It's being strong in him. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the adversary, the accuser. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances... Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all endurance, with all perseverance and making supplication for all the saints. Be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. You need God's strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. God's joy is our strength. You need to know God Almighty, El Shaddai. You need to know Hashem, the covenant-keeping God. You need to know God in all these different dimensions so that you are not deficient in your relationship with him in any way. And then it says, put on the whole armor of God. 
Why do you think it says put on the whole armor of God? Because you need it all. There is an enemy, and he will attack you looking for any part of your life that's not protected by the armor of God. And when he finds that weakness, he will exploit it in order to destroy you. The battle is not against flesh and blood. I know some of you don't think this. Because there are some of you who think that the battle is against the political party you don't belong to. <laughs> That's not the real spiritual battle. There's a bigger battle. There's a cosmic battle with spiritual forces. Take up the whole armor of God that's repeated for emphasis and having done all to stand firm I like that having done all stand firm the option is not to do your itsy bitsy best get by with minimum effort it's to stand firm to do everything and stand firm that's, that's what God's calling you to. Why? Because you're in spiritual warfare. Do you understand when you said yes to the Lord, you entered into the fray. You signed up to serve the Lord in his battle. Can you imagine a Marine and he gets orders to to go into battle, and he says, wait a minute, I did not sign up for this. <laughs> the fact is, he did sign up for it. Did anybody tell you when you said yes to the Lord, you signed up for spiritual warfare? Well, if they didn't, let me tell you, you're in the army now. <laughs> you are in it. <laughs> you're deep in it. Whether you knew it or not, you are in it. Whether you like it or not, you're in it. There's no going back. You are in it, so you need to learn to win. You need to learn to see the opportunities, to see the battle, and to give yourself. Don't try to get out of the army. Don't go AWOL. Don't try to set up an outpost on your own initiative. If you really want to be escapist, there are places in the north of Canada near the North Pole where no one will bother you except for polar bears. And if you can deal with them, you'll be okay. You and I are not called to escapism. We're called to engage. We're called to live life, to be in the midst of others who are living life and to do battle in the spiritual sense for the sake of other people, praying for other people. And you need the armor of God. You need truth. You can't stand if you don't have truth. Righteousness is part of your protection. If, if you compromise your righteousness, there'll be a vulnerability that will bring you down or get you wounded. The gospel of peace, the good news of shalom is part of your armor. Now, for some reason in America, this is not popular. The bad news is more popular and it sells better than the good news. 
But Yeshua brings us the good news in the midst of bad news. I'm not denying that there's bad news. I'm denying that we are called to communicate mainly the bad news. We're called to communicate the good news. Now look at your feet for just a minute. What's on your feet? Shoes. How many of you, though, are wearing the gospel of shalom shoes? You've got good news on your feet that bring you peace. You see, if you don't have those kinds of shoes on, you're not going to be able to walk around and give other people peace. You will be able to increase their anxiety. You will be able to tell them it's tough and it'll be worse and let's get out of here. You will be able to, to advocate for all sorts of escapist theologies and philosophies and ex eschatologies. But if you want to be prophetic like Moses was, like Elijah was, like Yeshua was, like the prophets of Israel and like the apostles, you've got to stay engaged in the battle. You can't run away. And you've got to understand it is God's intention to win many into his kingdom. And so you can't distance yourself from people who are outside of the kingdom of God. You have to seek their good in all circumstances. <laughs> in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. When it's good, you need the shield of faith, and when it's bad, you need the shield of faith. The shield of faith will extinguish fiery darts from the evil one. When you get hit with one of those, after you scream, or say, ouch, put up your shield. The very worst thing you can do is leave your shield down and take some more hits. You're going to fight successfully only by extinguishing the fiery darts from the enemy. The helmet of salvation protects your head. The sword of the spirit, the word of God. It is so important to draw close to the word of God. And... I give a caution about that. There are different schools of thought about what the word says and what the word emphasizes. I believe that you need to get clear pictures in your own mind of, of key people in the scriptures and key passages in the scriptures that will be the model for your own life. The reason I'm making this emphasis today is Moses is an example for me of a good example. He's a model for me of, of what I want to learn from. He stayed in his assignment. He trusted God. He finished it. He stayed connected. He didn't try to get out of it. He talked to God and God talked to him. And in the end, he was victorious because God was victorious through him and on his behalf. That's a good example. I think it's important to know who are the models that you want to follow. And when you're trying to teach people or persuade people or influence people, you need to know who you're trying to be like and what you're trying to create in other people. Or you will misshape them and they will become the kind of people who Moses couldn't work with. Take up the sword of the Spirit. Praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. 
keeping alert and persevering, praying for other people. It's not enough to pray for yourself, you gotta pray for other people. Pray for their good, for their rescue, for their salvation, for God to bless them. I believe that 2013 has been a a great year. Not an easy year, but a great year. When I gave my workshop at the MJA conference last weekend, I focused on victory and breakthroughs, and I spent the first half of my session talking about the victories and breakthroughs that people in our congregation have had. And I spent more than a half an hour on your breakthroughs. And I didn't cover all of them by any means, but I tell you, every time I remembered one more and told one more example of a breakthrough, it just made me so excited and so grateful. That's why we're focusing on opportunities, because so many of you have had breakthroughs. God's now moved you into new opportunities, and you need to be able to be successful. Those opportunities have spiritual warfare around them. Almost 40 years ago, a man named Charles Simpson said this, and I have never forgotten it. He said, the gateway to ruling is guarded by problems that can only be solved by men and women of godly character and God-given wisdom. God will not release to you the blessing of authority and rulership in your own area until you successfully go through the problems he gives in order to protect. Because he wants people who can get through it. He wants people who have the experience, not head knowledge, not because they read a book, but because they went through it and God showed himself faithful. And they know that they know and they can tell others. I wanna pray for everybody who sees opportunity ahead for themselves. New opportunities, but you're facing challenges. If God's bringing you into any new opportunities, but you've got challenges, would you raise your hand and just wave at me? Uh, and, and good. Now, would you stand up? Those of you who are waved, just stand up because I want to pray for you in particular. You don't have to fake anything. Uh, if you don't have opportunities yet, you will. But if you have opportunities now, I want to pray for you because I know God wants you to end 2013 strong and to begin 2014 strong as well. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you give us, Lord, victory in the spirit. I thank you that you've called us into the battle not to run away, but to run into it. And that you want us to join with you as you're doing a great work on the face of the earth. Lord, I thank you for the opportunities that you're giving us. I thank you for the problems and the challenges that you have given us that reveal your power and your goodness and allow us to bear witness of your faithfulness to us. Lord, help us finish this year with strength. Help us remember the breakthroughs. Help us remember the ways that you've sustained us, that we can tell others about your goodness, and they can see your mercy in the land of the living. Lord, I pray for those who have been turning too much attention to themselves, to their feelings and their own thoughts, and that they would hear the words that you spoke to Moses, I am the Lord that we would all turn our attention to you, that we would fix our eyes on Yeshua, and that we would run this race with endurance, 
so that we would finish the race, we would cross the finish line and have the victory that you prepared for us. Help us grow strong in spiritual warfare. Help us put on all the armor of God that none would fall, that none would be lost, that none would perish. We pray in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. If, if you're not standing up, I'd ask you to stand and don't stand alone. If you're standing by yourself, move. <laughs> so you can stand with someone else. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his shalom in the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua our Messiah. Amen. Shabbat shalom, happy new year.